This podcast is brought to you by the New York Academy of Sciences, where brilliant minds come together to spark innovative solutions to global challenges. Today on the podcast, we're going to look at a really extraordinary document. It was created by the United Nations and officially adopted in 2015 under the rather uninspiring name Resolution A70L.1. But it's better known as the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. This document is a promise made by the countries of the world to each other and to themselves that they're going to do their best over the next decade or so to reach a remarkably ambitious set of targets, affecting nearly every aspect of the way human beings relate to the planet and each other. It's a plan that has energized people in all walks of life, government, business, academia, and very much in the sciences, because the paths to achieving many of these goals are going to have to be scientific ones. New technology, new medicines, better agriculture, better understanding of the oceans and land and wildlife, and above all, a scientific way of thinking, taking things step by step and making sure that you're making decisions based on facts and evidence. Before we look at the agenda itself, let's talk about the timing. Why now? What does sustainability actually mean? And why is it so much on everyone's minds? It would be hard to disagree that the world is a vastly different place than it was 100 years ago, or 50, or even 20. To start with, human population has exploded. In 1917, there were fewer than 2 billion people in the world. 50 years later, in 1967, there were 3.4 billion. Now, it's more than 7.5 billion. In just the last 50 years, which represent around two hundredths of 1% of the time human beings have been on this planet, our population has more than doubled. And all those billions and billions of people are putting a strain on the world's resources, the likes of which has never been seen or hardly even imagined. All those people need places to live, food to eat, water to drink, and they all rightfully demand the things that we all know lead to better, happier, more productive lives. A good education, access to healthcare, stable financial systems, just and fair government. How we, as a planet, are going to provide those things is one of the greatest challenges humanity has ever faced. Maybe the greatest. Here's Dr. Thomas Gass, United Nations Assistant Secretary General for Economic and Social Affairs. We are reaching the limits of our planet, of the natural resources, of the air, the, of the climate. I mean, we're just, we're, we're bursting at the seams as a, as a global community. And, uh, and this is going to be felt more and more. And so we have to get our act together. This huge set of interconnected issues is really what's meant by the term sustainability. We are growing more than ever, and we know we're going to keep growing. So how are we going to handle it? Here's Dr. Jennifer Costley, Director of Physical Sciences, Sustainability, and Engineering here at the Academy. So it's a world that's not only um, a, a place that has good environment, but also has good health. It has the ability to have good jobs. It has the ability to provide people with um, a reasonable living. All those kinds of aspects come into sustainability. We've always known that we were globalizing, that we're part of the same global village. 
but to do what? To achieve what? In the year 2000, to mark the new millennium, the nations of the UN held an international summit to try to answer that very question. And this resulted in a set of goals that the various member states pledged to try to achieve over the course of the next 15 years, each addressing huge global problems like poverty, education, and healthcare. And to one way of looking at it, all of these goals failed. Almost none of the metrics they aimed for were actually reached. But on the other hand, what was achieved was pretty extraordinary. One target, for instance, was to reduce what's called extreme poverty, meaning people living under $1.25 a day by half. In 2000, the number of people in that position was 1.9 billion. And in 2015, it was 863 million. Not quite half, but awfully close. Another goal was to achieve universal primary education, that every child in the world could go to school until at least age 10 or 11. In 2000, the number of children with that opportunity was around 85%. And in 2015, it was 91%. Again, technically falling short of the goal, but still a significant achievement. And so, in 2015, the countries of the world got together again and did something that I think is pretty remarkable. Instead of setting lower goals that would be more achievable, they did exactly the opposite. They said that the way to get where we want to go is to set goals that are even more ambitious. Here's a sampling of some of the many world leaders that took to the floor of the UN to speak in support of this plan. Today, we begin a new journey. A journey that builds on the success of the Millennium Development Goals, but it also goes, goes much further. The 17 Sustainable Development Goals in front of us are not just another chapter in the United Nations bureaucratic procedure. It is not just another tome in the endless archives of this organization. It is the blueprint for our development for the next 15 years and beyond, a framework and tool for our better future. To make lives far better and sustainably so for all of us who occupy Mother Earth, especially those who have had to endure the pain and anguish of indigence, poverty, vulnerability, and marginalization. Sometimes it's said that our efforts to combat poverty and disease do not and cannot work, that there are some places beyond hope, that certain people and regions are condemned to an endless cycle of suffering. Here, today, we put those myths to rest. Today, we set aside the skepticism and we lift up the hope that is available to us through collective action. The world needs a change. It cannot change itself. It's me, it's you, it's all of us who have to bring that change. That was, in order, Lars Loki Rasmussen, Prime Minister of Denmark, Kalinda Grabar Katarovic, President of Croatia, Ralph Gonzalez, Prime Minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Barack Obama, and finally Malala Yousafzai, a Pakistani civil rights activist who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2014. And the 17 goals adopted at that meeting really are staggeringly ambitious. 
They include not just cutting extreme poverty by half, but ending all poverty altogether. Ending hunger, ensuring primary and secondary education for everyone, achieving complete gender equality, building sustainable infrastructure, protecting all the world's ecosystems, reversing climate change, and providing everyone access to ample sustainable energy, full employment, clean water, and fair justice systems. Any one of these might very easily seem unattainable. And the goals are not written vaguely. Each one is supported by a list of very specific targets, 169 in all, each one of which honestly seems like a bit of a moonshot. For more than 100 countries, each with its own internal politics to agree on anything, let alone something so expansive, is kind of unbelievable. Here's Dr. Gass. Picture the UN like a global parliament, except that it doesn't have two political parties that have to agree, but 193. And that because of the sovereignty of nations, agreements have to be found by consensus. Now here, for the first time, 193 countries come together and they don't agree on just a sentence, you know, like we will live in peace or, you know, we will take care of each other or something. The Sustainable Development Goals, this uh, Agenda 2030 for Sustainable Development, as we like to call it here in the UN, is basically a vision, a shared vision of humanity. It's... I, I think one can say it's, it's the vision piece of the globalization puzzle. Having the global community come together in a place like the UN to agree on common values, on common approaches and policies, that's very, very meaningful. These goals are also, I think, remarkably kind. So much of politics is about economics and statistics, and these really are about caring for each other. Acknowledging that our economic growth only means something in context of improved lives. I mean, we get this criticism quite a lot that we see everything in, in econometric terms. That we always measure, you know, development in dollars. Well, the sustainable development goals are different because the 169 targets are, are just about 169 ways to ensure that no one is left behind. We are interconnected to a degree that's unprecedented. And, and we sometimes live in the illusion that we can be sustainable without, uh, you know, without thinking of what happens you know, on the other side of the border or of the fence of the wall that we've built. But that's impossible because if we leave anyone behind, if we leave a significant economic or social group behind, our development is not sustainable. Now, that's a pretty concrete vision for the next 15 years. I think we should aim for it and, uh, and put our efforts and our resources and, and our science and technology, line them up so that we will actually achieve them. Here's Dr. Costley again. It's a belief that goes beyond 
something that you should feel uh, I have to measure and mark and achieve this. It's a belief that you have to have an inward commitment to. And so most of the people that I hear talking about these goals, they have both that inward commitment to trying to achieve them, and they also have uh, a rational process to try to get as close as they can. So they're balancing those two things. It all begs the question, though, are goals as ambitious as these are really actually achievable? Would it be possible for humanity to eradicate hunger, end unemployment, wipe out corruption, achieve universal education, provide everyone everywhere with clean water and clean, sustainable energy forever? I used a term earlier that's often thrown around to describe wildly ambitious programs like these. Moonshot. And the thing we need to remember is that the original moonshot was successful. Here's another American president, just over 50 years ago, proposing we attain what seemed then like an unachievable goal. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Kennedy first said we're going to make it to the moon by the end of this decade. Um, nobody really believed that was achievable. Only by having goals like that, that seem unachievable, um, will people commit themselves enough to really move as far as they can in that direction. So, I'm, I believe that the big shifts, the big changes in this world happen when people aimed for something that was difficult to achieve. The pessimists said all kinds of things, you know, whether it's reaching the moon or whether it's, you know, fighting polio or other or HIV, you know. I mean, the 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 pessimists are always, you know, a plethora. There's, there's always many many pessimists around, and but uh, you you have to aim f- for. I mean, it's not impossible. It's it's not impossible. We. We invest trillions into armaments and into security and into fixing the problems that we've created ourselves. We need to shift our priorities and and, uh, put our efforts in what will get us to where we want to get to. Now, for the first time, we know where we want to get to. And one thing we learned from achieving those big goals in the past is that mobilizing political energy is not enough. None of those things would have been achieved without huge leaps forward in science and technology. And that's where the Academy comes in. We were specifically tasked by UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon to be a center for mobilizing the scientific community around these goals. It's a charge that we've taken very seriously, and we've found that many of our friends and partners, both in academia and the commercial sector, have been equally motivated by the challenge of these goals. Here are senior executives from two of the world's leading technology companies. Dominic Virgine, head of sustainability and corporate responsibility at the microprocessor development company Arm, and Anne Rosenberg, senior vice president for global next gen at the software company SAP. 
Technology has to underpin all of them. Every single goal needs to be supported by technology in one way or another in order for it to succeed or to accelerate the achievement of the goal. And so, as a result, we're now looking much more broadly than we were before and looking at bringing in new partners and thinking about new products, new innovations in order to demonstrate how technology really should be underpinning every goal. When you work with innovation, when you the way you people run their businesses, they want to have they want to have the bigger purpose in mind when they do it, and and I think that the seventeen global goals are giving everybody a common denominator about a set of goals that we all agree on, and and by teaming up we can do so much more than if we identify our own purpose goals. We would have been trying to do this anyway. But it makes it very, we'd have had to design something ourselves. We, we want to work with companies in other sectors and companies in other sectors want to work with us because we all need to understand where technology fits. Um, however, having the sustainable development goals means we don't have to create our own program. We don't have to reinvent the lang our own language or branding around it. We can take that, we both understand it, and by making it part of uh, a partnership, it, it strengthens both of our operations and it's very, very useful um, to point to different areas within the Sustainable Development Goals and then agree to partner on those. In the new offices SAP built recently in Hudson Yards on the west side of Manhattan, their enthusiasm for supporting these goals couldn't be more apparent. It's literally written on the walls. When we bring customers into the space, it's a big um, innovation space for SAP customers that you have the global goals uh, all over the space. And that is because we want to bring that into the conversation. So when you speak innovation, uh, you speak it with an innovation in, in a, with, a, with a purpose in mind. It's a funny thing because when you start the conversation around this, suddenly it's not about who you are, who I am. It's about we are on a joint mission. And I really mean it that the world has come together. I was beginning of the year. Uh, at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and I was, I was literally, I was, I got this wow when I walked in. It's a one hundred thousand people event, and the whole, uh, the, the whole big big event with this one hundred thousand people were categorized into the seventeen global goal. That means that, and that was kind of the elite of tech companies there, right? And that means that everybody was talking about the 17 Global Goals. Everybody who left that conference, who were in Congress Barcelona, brought that with them home and talked about it. They, there were people from all over the world coming in. Here's Dr. Costley again. One of the things I really like about the Sustainable Development Goals is it forces people to think, I won't quite call it holistically, it's not quite that, but to think systemically about the things that they're working on. and. Typically, in each of these areas, the big challenge for people so far has been to think not just in the you know within the the sort of uh, silo of what the work is that they personally do, but also to think about how that connects to the work that other people are doing in these bigger contexts. So let's get everyone together and let's actually have them focus on thinking about um, how can we enable uh, the, the SDGs through science. What are the gaps? Um, in in, in uh, research, what are the gaps in data? What are the things that need to be done? Um, what's the roadmap for doing those things? What are some of the challenges?
And over the course of a whole series of meetings and working groups here at the Academy and elsewhere, some interesting and maybe unexpected gaps have been brought to light and tagged for more work and study. When you begin to take a methodic scientific approach to breaking down huge global problems, you end up with a whole string of smaller problems and hopefully a plan to begin addressing each of them. As an example, let's talk about the interesting problem of health records. It's kind of an amazing fact for those of us who live in developed countries like the US that billions of people around the world don't have any kind of official identification. No birth certificate, let alone a driver's license or passport. Because their existence is unreported, we can really only guess who they are and where they live and what they might need to be pulled out of the shadows so they can access things like medical care. Here's Mr. Virgin, followed by Dr. Costley. So in most of the world, people have no health records. There is no real knowledge of whether they've been vaccinated, what their medical history is, what their family history is, who their mother is, father is. It just doesn't exist uh, from the majority of the world. So you think about how you prove your identity every day, right? Um, and you don't think twice about it because you have all of that record available to you. You've memorized your social security number and you have all that information. And it's become, become part of how you deal with your daily transactions. Well, in these cases, people who've been displaced, either they had that information and lost it, or it's no longer relevant in the context in which they're in. They're in a new country, they're in a new place. Um, or they never had it to begin with. It was never part of what was necessary for the, the, you know, the situation they were in. So now they come into a place in which uh, the context is one in which that kind of information becomes critical to identifying the resources that are needed to be delivered to them. And that's where it becomes a problem. You bring a, a number of people into a refugee camp. Um, all those people coming from different places, different locations, different backgrounds, different histories, and you want to be able to provide health resources to them. What do you do? You, you almost immediately start thinking about, I want, I want these people to be identifiable. I want to know who's who. Um, you want to construct some kind of an ID system. So the goal as we go forward is to say, okay, this is something that's been flagged. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in a more in-depth manner. And let's start to think about solutions and move forward and see if we can begin to bring those solutions to realization. And so one of the things that I'm going to do this year in the second summit is we're going to have a, a panel specifically addressing sort of the, the pros and cons, the, the, the risks and benefits, and the approaches that might be taken to doing, to doing exactly that, to really establish a, 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 a universal ID of sorts. And in the end, that's how we're going to tackle problems that are so huge at first they seem to be unsolvable. By breaking them down, working step by step, and doing it together. Bringing as many people from as many different fields and backgrounds together as we can to find solutions. Not just politicians and professional scientists, but everyone. We all have energy and talents that can be brought to bear in making these 17 goals a reality. And in that spirit, Another group of people the Academy is working hard to mobilize toward achieving these goals are young people, specifically teenagers. More than ever before, this generation of high school-age students already think globally. They're keyed in via the internet to worldwide problems, and more than ever before, they want to choose careers where they can help other people as well as themselves. 
Here's Chanel Martinez, director of the Academy's Policy Evaluation and Transformation Group. The younger generation is more invested in these issues than ever before. They connect with them. They they see them in their own communities. They they are meeting people that are that, that are affected by these issues, and they think that they can make change. You know, they know that they're passionate about particular areas of STEM or particular areas of science. They know they want to to do something meaningful with their life, and this is a great way for them to create change, but also follow a career path or a, a path that they are truly passionate about. Through our global STEM alliance programs here at the Academy, we are trying to harness that energy by challenging scientifically motivated young people to do real science, actual research and development work on actual technology problems that are related to the Sustainable Development Goals. The Open Innovation Challenges are, um, we, we partner with um, usually industry partners to issue the challenges. Um, and they can be on a particular topic that we that the kids both find interesting and that the industry partner is also working to solve. So we consider them, we call them real-world problems. So the students that are in the Junior Academy that, that solve these challenges are solving real-world problems that industry scientists are actually facing in their day-to-day life too. But they also haven't solved those issues yet either. So we give them an opportunity to tackle just a bite or a piece of what Um, you know, what others are looking to solve in a a larger corporation. A few months ago, we held an event here where we invited some teams of high school students from around the country who had come up with particularly compelling ideas to come meet with researchers and business people to learn how they might begin thinking about taking these ideas and turning them into real commercial products. On May 8th and 9th, when the students were here, they were actually refining their pitches and they were delivering their pitches to people and getting feedback on them. Let's listen to a few of these pitches. Remember that these are real high school students talking about ideas that they themselves are developing. Okay, so basically it's a smart filter, and the purpose of the smart filter is so that it could prevent water loss and water contamination. So we we would like to have a water filter that would connect through a mobile app, and through that mobile app that you could like download easily on your phone, you would be able to um, check like the pH levels of your water, um, see if anything's wrong with your phone, because um, in the water filter there will be built-in acidic water testing strips and motion sensors, which will um, contribute to prevent water loss and water contamination. So basically, me and my team created an uh, application to better diagnose micronutrient deficiencies in malnourished areas, and our application has two components, the statistical component and the biological component. For the statistical component, we have a demographic survey that will generate the micronutrient values that each patient needs depending on other demographics like age, gender, height, weight, pregnancy status, etc. And then we would also have a food consumption survey that we would they would put in the food that they ate the past day and then we would find the micronutrient value of what they ate that day based on an FDA database. And for the biological component, we have a diagnostic test strip that have chemical substrates imprinted on them and basically we would put human saliva, the patient's saliva on it and then from there we can use an iPhone attachment to read the RGB values created by those substrates and we can then determine whether they're malnourished or not. It's a uh, sprinkler system and that uh, attaches to your current sprinkler system okay. and it's uh, collects data from the moisture sensors okay. to tell the motors what to do in your sprinkler system. So basically this represents a wet, uh, this, I have a towel in my hands, it represents a wet, like wet soil. Okay. And the sensor will read, okay, so this, the soil is this wet, I'm gonna make a valve 
shut off, so no more water flows to the soil through like uh, sprinklers. And when there's not enough water, the valve will open up again, and it's just like a way to save power, save water. Wow, and that's cool. Save money, Very save cool. plants, and also help the environment. One team has even invented a new kind of carbon scrubber, which installs into smokestacks, captures carbon dioxide, and converts it into sodium carbonate, a valuable industrial material. This is actually transforming the carbon dioxide that is passing through into a new product, into sodium carbonate, which is the material for solar cells. So it's a waste product, you know, it's a dangerous greenhouse gas, and it's being converted into a profitable commodity that these companies can sell to renewable suppliers. So the goal is to prevent the carbon dioxide ever from entering the atmosphere. That was Crystal Chavez from Ozone Park, Queens, Judy Zong from Pennsylvania, Lev Stambler and Stanford Wally from Tenafly, New Jersey, and Nora Heafy from New Haven, Connecticut. And whether or not we actually achieve these goals before 2030, all of these people coming together because they believe it's possible and throwing themselves with so much enthusiasm into finding solutions is really a beautiful thing. Here's Dr. Costley followed by Dr. Rosenberg. Beginning to break down those barriers by focusing people on those long-term large targets is actually really valuable in and of itself. Whether or not you achieve those targets, um, having people do that, having people actually think about those targets, those high-level targets, and how their work fits into that, that to me is tremendous benefit. Here we are coming together and so many minds talking about the seven global goals will always give a huge, huge impact, always. And I hope that every year that the goal will become more and more ambitious because I think the way the technology is so exponential today, I think that we can do much more than we even think we actually can. And please remember, this isn't just for scientists or politicians. Everyone can be involved. This coming October 17th, as part of a summit on the Sustainable Development Goals and how to move closer to accomplishing them, the Academy will be hosting a public event called Going for the Goals, where leaders of innovative companies here in New York will be speaking and engaging with each other and with the public on ways to move their own businesses and communities in more sustainable directions. It's an opportunity for everyone to contribute ideas and to be inspired to work towards the SDGs in their own lives. And by learning about these goals, we can all make decisions about where we go and what we buy. We can all get more involved in local politics. We can all speak. We can all write. And together, maybe we can make the impossible a reality. Here's Dr. Rosenberg again. Uh, begin to talk to people about it, you will get very surprised how many people around you who already is involved in all different kind of ways and involved in this. Um, so, so it's not just for certain people at certain places, it's for everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the New York Academy of Sciences. This episode was produced by your host, David Hoffman. Special thanks to the experts who we interviewed, Dr. Thomas Gass of the United Nations, Dr. Anne Rosenberg of SAP, Dominic Virgin of ARM, and the Academy's own Dr. Jennifer Costley and Chanel Martinez. For more information about the Academy and all of its programs, as well as to listen to other podcasts, 
please visit www.nyas.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and follow us on social media at NYA Sciences on Twitter and Instagram and the New York Academy of Sciences on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider becoming a member of the New York Academy of Sciences, where brilliant minds come together to spark innovative solutions to global challenges. 